Well, if you have a Bible, let's turn to the book of Mark. If you don't have, that's okay. It will come up on the screen magically behind me. As a church, we've been walking our way through a series for a few weeks now called Drenched, looking at what it is to be a Christian that is drenched in the third person of the Holy, sorry, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And uh, I guess if you were to think, Tom, what's the vision of this series? Above everything, my aim for this is just to actually stir a hunger. I am not under the illusion that in these few weeks we'll kind of tick box, there we go, we've got the Holy Spirit. This is simply to stir a hunger. That no matter what you do in life, you are more hungry for the Holy Spirit. That's my aim. Do you understand? That's not to see that we're going we're gonna to reach the fullness of perfection by the end of the drench series. No, no, I don't think that will happen. I want us just to be starving, hungry for the work of the Spirit. Who, who would like that in their lives? A bit of hunger, a bit of thirst. Amen. So that's my desire. And we're almost at the end. We've only got a couple of weeks left after today. And then we'll be starting a new series. And uh, in the last few weeks, we've been looking at what, what the benefits are of the Holy Spirit in our life. We've been looking at things like the joy, we've been looking at passion for mission, uh, intimacy, a passion for so many different things. But today, I think, um, in all honesty, we come to, without doubt, one of the most significant and important aspects of just what it is to call yourself a Christian. The whole issue of love. And as I say that word love, I guarantee some of you will go, switch off. There we go. Love. God, love. Boring, boring Tom. And I just want to lovingly challenge you not to do that this morning. I, I really believe that um, sometimes, you know, in some Christian circles, it can almost, love, talk about love, it's almost a bit sloppy and a bit, you know. So we almost react to that and, and don't actually really look biblically at what it is to be a people who understand this whole thing of love. And we have to because it's, I would honestly say it's the most important thing. It is actually the supreme thing that God's calling us to understand and to go for and to delight in. And if we're a church which has all the other stuff, all the power of the Holy Spirit upon us, that's great. But if we don't have love, the Bible tells us that we are missing something profound. So buckle up, ladies and gents. Today we're looking at the, the supreme, as it were, commandment that God gives us. And I do say the word commandment, actually, interestingly. It's not a suggestion. It's not a desire for his church. It is a commandment. Mark 12 shows us that. We're going to read here. There's a, a scribe, um, which I'll explain in a moment. But someone asking Jesus, Jesus, if you were to summarize everything about the Christian life, what's it all about? And he says this shocking answer. He says this in verse 30, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Those are God's, God's words to us. When I read these, I find these both inspiring and profoundly challenging actually. I really do. Because Jesus doesn't just say, I want you to love God. He actually explicitly takes the time to unpack what he means. And also, let's be honest, when we look at the Bible, one of the books in the Bible is called Revelation. It's a scary book. You see in this book, for example, near the beginning, God's view of a church in a place called Laodicea, which was a real place. A church, and he says, I want to spit you out of my mouth because your love for me is not what it was. Now, I don't want to get all heavy today, but I want us to understand that that in a busy life, God's passion for us to be white-hot loving of him 
is the supreme priority of our lives. It's above everything. It's what we have to say, Lord, this has to be on my gravestone. I want this. Someone who above everything loved God and loved his neighbor. And yet, when I look at my own life, I know this is the truth of the Bible. When I look at my own life, I'll be honest with you, there's times, often, where I think, I I just get scared at my lack of love for God. I do. I look at my life and I think, you know, I'm an enthusiast by nature, but that's not the same thing as a deep, intense, mature love for the living creator of the universe. That isn't the same. And I, and I, I know one quote which really got me. This is by an American pastor called Francis Chan. He says, it's crazy if you think about it. The God of the universe, the creator of nitrogen, pine needles, galaxies, and E minor. He loves us with a radical, unconditional, self-sacrificing love. And what is our typical response? We go to church, we sing songs, and we try not to swear. That's true, isn't it? It's true. When I look at the level of response in my life, I'm not talking about whether I jump around on a Sunday morning. I'm talking about my whole life. I think, man, God, please don't let it be that when I meet you, you're still my father, you still love me, but there is a certain level of regret. I don't want that over my life. I want us as a church family that we're living, we're getting ready to meet our creator. That's what we're doing. And this is his wonderful, kind words to us to say, don't let in the busy life, don't overcomplicate this. <laughs> it's about your love for me. So we come to the question then, How? How do we grow in our love for God and our love for neighbor? How do we grow in our love vertically for God, as it were, and our horizontal love? Well, by the title of the series, you might know the answer to that question. A little bit of a hint, the Holy Spirit. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we love you, and yet we want to go deeper today. Holy Spirit, drench us. I pray it. I pray we won't be just drenched, as it were, if we get prayer ministry at the end. Preaching, Lord, is a gift from heaven where you drench us as the words themselves create life. Create life and passion in us. Do it, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today uh, we're just going to spend more of our time looking at the first great commandment, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And then we will spend some time then looking slightly more briefly at uh, the command to love our neighbour. And it's it's often said, but remember the order, okay? It is love of God first. If we don't, actually build our whole life around centrally growing in love for God, we won't love our neighbor. We won't love people around us. So I want to spend a few moments then this morning looking at the work of the Spirit in drenching us to enable us to love God. So we see here that right at the center of this passage is a very significant word. Who knows in the Greek what the word for love is here? Derek Reynolds, be quiet. Anyone else? It's not a trick question. Shout it out. Agape. Agape. Once again, we go, agape. Sleep, sleep. Well, I, I do. I think I've heard the word agape. Agape is, is a Greek word for love. And it's, it's amazing. Do you know that I think this is true to say that nowhere else in, in, um, you know, in literature of, of an ancient type in the rest of the world is this word found? Or well, very infrequently, if ever. It's like this special word that was invented for the type of love we're looking at today. It's so unique. And there's two characteristics of this love I want to bring out today, which will help us in our understanding of our love for God. First of them, it's supernatural. Say supernatural. Supernatural. Now, it really isn't a natural love. It is a supernatural love. The commentator West puts it this way. He says, 
The word for love, agape, it speaks of a Holy Spirit-generated love in the heart of the yielded saint. It is a divine love. It's supernatural. Okay, it isn't something... You know, there's some people in life who are just nice. They're just loving. You know, just lovely people. I won't mention names, but there's certain people who are just nice. He's not talking about that. He's saying that I... My, my heart for you, O church is a, a divine love that no matter whether you're an absolute rotter by nature, when you become a Christian, something supernatural happens. And when you read the Bible, when you read the New Testament, what we see every single time the Holy Spirit comes on people, guess what happens? In one form or another, the Bible describes an extraordinary explosion of love for God. If we went through the New Testament, you would see it like a heartbeat, like a theme again and again. The book of Acts chapter 2, it says that they were praising God. This is just after describing the Spirit flooding them, drenching them. We see a little bit later in Acts chapter 10, it says the Jewish believers who had come with Peter were astonished with the gift of the Holy Spirit who had been poured out even on the Gentiles, that's non-Jews, for he heard them look speaking in tongues and praising God. When the Spirit comes... By definition, there's an eruption of love for God. Why? Because the love that is shown is agape, supernatural love. It isn't logical. It isn't something you can work out. It's not something you stir up. It's a gift. It's the most beautiful, exquisite thing in my life. I became a Christian 12 years ago. I was a God-hater, atheist Man, I wasn't just, yeah, I, didn't, I didn't like Christians, if I'm honest. I just thought they were weird. And just, ugh, but God invaded my life. It's an invasion. It's the feel of the New Testament. It's an invasion, the most beautiful ambush of heaven itself upon an individual that comes out in this amazing explosion of love. And when you read uh, some of, uh, I just say, get into church history. If you never read it, get into church history. It's this goldmine mine of the fact that A, nothing's new under the sun, it prevents us from going off on heresy, but also you just read about these men and women who are like you and me, full of weakness and struggle, and yet God does things in them that blows you away. And I want us to just look here, for example, at the uh, case of um, D.L. Moody, who was an amazing American evangelist, lived a few hundred years ago. And he was a Christian, but he sensed this hunger. Okay, He'd been in the drenched series, and he was getting hungry for God. He said, I... I began to cry as never before for a greater blessing from God. The hunger increased. I felt, I really felt that I didn't want to live any longer without this greater increasing sense of the blessing of God. I kept on crying all the time that God would fill me more with his spirit. Well, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It's almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke for 14 years. And all I can say is that God revealed himself to me. And I had such an experience of his love. I had to ask him to stay his hand. It was so overwhelming. He felt as if he was going to be physically crushed. This is the love of God. This is the type of love that it is not, it's not just something for D.L. Moody, but it's something that God, with a twinkle in his eye, is saying. Did you see the first bit? A hunger increased. You see that? There was a hunger. Who has a hunger that's increasing? 
please, on every ha- if you're not hungry, ask God to make you hungry. There's a hunger. There's a hunger brewing in his church. I don't believe just here. I believe nationally. I do believe in the West. God's waking us up. My passion is that when I meet God, and it might be tonight, I don't know, above everything, when you want to know what I want this church to be like, I want it to be. I love, I love things getting, you know, organized. That's good. That's good. good th- I don't really care about that, ultimately. I want us to be passionate for God. You may have picked that up if you've known me for a few days or microseconds. I want it. I don't care if you're an introvert. It's not about that. It's not about whether you're, you know, it's about in your soul there is this passion for God, a love of God. Why can I expect that of you? Because remember I said it's supernatural. I'm not asking you to jig yourself up. Get hungry, get before your creator and plead with him. Say, God, this is a promise. And you might say, Tom, it's unrealistic. It's unrealistic what you're saying. I'm just not like you. Do you know what? Turn in your Bible to John. And this is this has got to be one of the most mind-boggling truths is in the Bible. I want there to be a gasp after we read this verse. Verse 26 of chapter 17. I make, this is Jesus praying, this is Jesus praying to his father. There's some preachers who wouldn't even preach on this, on this passage of the Bible, John 17. It's so sacred. It's like we've tiptoed into Jesus praying to his father. And look what he says at the heart of it. This is mind-blowing. I made known to them your name, Father, and I will continue to make it known. Look at this, look at this. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them. Just think about what he just said there. Do you think the Father's love for Jesus was fairly high, fairly big? Any, any thoughts? I think... The God who made Jupiter, Saturn, and Pluto. And it says in the Bible, Father has for all eternity just adoring his son. The Trinity is this ultimate expression. One God, but three persons. The Father delighting in his son. I, it's almost just it's a scary kind of love. The intensity of love that the Father would have for his son. And Jesus says... <laughs> That same love for Jesus will be in you. I didn't hear a gasp. I mean, this is this is in, this is this is beyond words. Just you feel that if you are a Christian, you may have been Christian a week. The promise of the Bible is that the same love of the Father for His Son. Can't be in you. And in Romans 8 5, it unpacks this and it says this. It says, For the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. How? The gift of the Holy Spirit who has been given to you. Do you see that? He's saying the same thing. God's love. I just I just can't get over that. That in me, I can expect the same intensity of love for Christ that the Father has for Christ. Do you know, I love Daisy and Lily. And many people I know think they're, they're, they're sweet. But there is a love you have for your kids. I, I just, it's just kind of totally over the top. It is in my case, anyway. And you kind of try and catch people up with it. You're like, look, she's picking her nose. 
And it's just like, wow, okay. You know, look, she's walking. Look, she's gurgling, whatever. There's a love you have for your kids. That's just a bit, a bit wacky. No one else quite gets it. They humor you. I don't feel that. I like little other kids, but they're just other kids. My love for David is overwhelming. The father's love for his son is incomprehensible. And now, if you're a Christian, that same love, how by the spirit, has been poured into your soul. And you may sit here and say, Tom, that is amazing. D.L. Moody had a great time. Sounds br- but I, that isn't my experience. Look at the other words Jesus says. He says, love God with all our heart and our soul. Okay, our emotions and the depth of our being. But look at the next word. What's the next word? With all of our, our minds. You see, Jesus was the great physician of the soul. He was the great, he knew how we were made. He knew that our emotions and our inner sensations and affections can be sometimes in line with how they should be and often they're not do you know the bible tells us the great influencer on our soul on our on our hearts do you know what it is above everything it's our mind our mind is our greatest friend romans 12 says be transformed by the renewing of your heart no it says by the renewing of your mind colossians 3 says set your heart on things above no no it says set your minds we are called to use our our minds. And if our hearts and souls, are, if the affections of them are most influenced by what our mind is set on, as Romans 8 tells us, if your mind is set on things of the flesh, you will find that you reap what you sow. You will find that your heart and affections are not for Christ. But if, by the Spirit, you are led by the Spirit, what that means is, is your mind will be set on the things of God and your heart and your soul will follow suit. Think of your mind like a funnel. Yeah? Where is your funnel? Your funnel is just drinking in things of God all the time, things above. What happens is it goes into your heart and soul and you will become someone who grows in intense passion. Think of your mind. Think of your mind as like a rather old gentleman, okay, Who's, who can't move anymore. He's in a wheelchair. And that's your mind. It's dependent on other people. It's dependent on other things. Think of the spirit like a really good friend who says, okay, old man, I want to give you a gift. And he wheels the old man, who's our mind, into um, an amazing palace. And the gift, the Holy Spirit says, this is a gift for you. Now, he's put a blindfold on him, on him to build the tension. So now the old man is sitting in this extraordinary palace, that's our minds, at the moment, unable to actually in any way savour or see anything of the splendour around him. Our minds are dependent on the spirit, the friend, to bit by bit by bit lift the blindfold. To see what it is to be a Christian. To see what it is to believe in the eternal life to come. And for the Spirit to wheel us around different rooms. We have to keep asking. Ephesians 1. Paul says, I pray above everything for a spirit of revelation. That you will see. We don't, in a sense, need to know more fancy truth. We just need to understand, have the eyes of our hearts enlightened. To see what it is to actually say, oh yeah, I know God. I'm a Christian. Because as God shows us truths that we're familiar with, what happens is we start to see. And our minds, like the old man, start to see. Oh my goodness. Look, look what God's done. And do you know what above everything is the most important and significant truth for our minds to see? If we are to grow in loving God, and you can shout this one out, what is the number one thing that we need to have the eyes of our hearts, our minds understand, if we're to grow in our love for God? What do we need to see more than anything? God's love for us. Well done, Hugh Pierce. 
the way that we grow in our love for God, the way that we grow in our love for God, don't miss this, this is massive, is by the Spirit showing our minds bit by bit his love for you. 1 John 4 says, we love because he first loved us. And this is actually, I, th- I really think for many of you here today, this is your main thing God wants to just gently, lovingly come to you on. You see, whether we like it or not, if we, if we don't feel in a relationship, that person doesn't love us, it will shut down our love for them. When I started going out with Josie, um, uh, I was just totally in love. And uh, I remember once I cooked her a meal and she turned up, and to be honest with you, she was a bit grumpy. She was a little bit, a little And and I, being the egomaniac that I was, thought that this was something to do with me. We all do that, don't we? We go, what have I done? You're like, nothing, honey. I had a bad day. I'm like, I don't believe you. No, really, what have I done? Tom, I I really mean it. I just had a horrible stinker of a day. Just let me, you know, get my thought. And I was just, and this is the point. Because I felt in that moment, for those brief moments, a lack of love and a lack of warmth. Do you know what happened? Involuntarily, I stopped feeling great affection for her and what happened was my misreading of her love because she still did love me but just not <laughs> wasn't showing it because I misread her do you understand unconsciously my heart grew cold anyone here experience you it's strange how unconsciously when we feel they don't really love me it just goes and I found that and it was because of I had misunderstood I thought they didn't, she didn't love me, and she did. And for many Christians, when we come to thinking about growing in our love for God, the reason we struggle to really love him is because deep down we still really don't quite really believe he loves us. We kind of do, but emotionally it's not an active truth that we're living in the good of. And God in his kindness and in his mercy, he's going to break some of that lie today he's going to do it he's doing it even as i'm saying this by the spirit we cannot comprehend how god can love everyone and still individually with meaning love us individually but he does he his love for you is vast as the ocean it's just beyond comprehension his love for us and our minds above everything need to be those that are set on understanding this. Turn one last time in the Bible to 1 John. Same author writing later. 1 John, it's near the end of your Bible. 1 John. And chapter 4. You're sitting here thinking, yeah, I get this, Tom. I want to love God. You're saying that the most important way that I get to love God is by understanding his love for me. And my mind understanding this will will influence my soul and my heart to love him. I get that. But Tommy, I, I just struggle. I want to lovingly say to you, it's okay. <laughs> 1 John 4 says this. Look at this. Verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. He's saying it is a process We come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. He's getting here, he's saying to this, he's like, it's, of course it's tough at one level. Of course it's, it's a life's pursuit of saying, Lord, can I really believe this? 
can I really put all my eggs into the basket that you really do love me? Those who have come to know and to believe, it's a progression. It's a process. If you're sitting here thinking, Tom, I want to love God, but I I do struggle to really believe it. It's okay. Because the final expression here to love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. God, Jesus is so practical. He's saying that our strength, our mental, our physical, our emotional strength, is involved in the process. It needs to be primarily applied to help our minds think and dwell and enjoy 24-7 the love that God has for us. Do you understand that? He's saying it's a process. Who wants to grow in knowing and believing the love that God has for them? Who wants to? Our hands in the air are signaling this. I also recognize that my strength is involved. You see, this is the issue. Many of us don't realize that our whole life, our strength is drained by life. If our work goes from a good thing to a God thing, our work drains us of strength. So we don't actually have physical strength left to love God and to help our minds dwell on the love he has for us. If we're absolutely in the grip of worry, that emotionally we can be drained of the strength that God wants to have to actually be channeled into loving of him. If the pace of our life is so great, we will have little or no mental strength left to actually pour into our minds understanding the love that God has for us. Do you get that? He's saying, I want your strength. Don't just give it to everything. We need to have a lifestyle of strength conservation. You need to ask yourselves, Lord, just look at what, what are the subtle strength drainers in my life? If you're always worried, that will drain your emotional strength and therefore you will struggle in loving the Lord your God. You'll just be like, at the end of every day, all your physical strength's gone on work, your emotional strength's gone on worry, and you've done it at such a crazy pace, your mental strength is just gone because of that. And you're just like, I have no strength left to worship the Lord my God. And I know we live in a busy life. I am fairly hectic at times. But we have to understand, he's saying our strength is involved in enabling us to grow in our love for God. I just, a tiny example, I cycle to work, to the offices, and I've timed it, I can do it in seven and a half minutes. So I was like, okay, I only need seven and a half minutes, I can do other stuff before then. And I'll be like, right, go, seven and a half minutes, flying through windshield, morning, 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 through the traffic, and I get to work, hot, sweaty, a bit, you know, grumpy because of the traffic. Now then God said to me, Tom, why don't you redeem that time, you Wally, and give yourself 20 minutes. Go the country route, okay? And use that time. Let your strength, not your mental strength of the pace of life, just get drained into that. Redeem it so you can use that time. So it's not like, oh, my time with God is, you know, in the morning and the night time. That time, every moment of our time. So then, I'll, okay, I'll go a slower route. And I, now on my bike... I will try and use that time, that strength which would have gone in there. I'm, I'm, I'm redeeming it. Does that make sense? So that time is now for him as well. So I'm trying to use my strength which would have gone in other things. Lord, my mind, old man in a wheelchair, it needs to partner with the spirit. So I'm constantly, my life's pursuit is understanding the love that God has for me. When I'm on that bike, I'm saying, Lord, show me your love. Because the only way I'm going to grow in the greatest command is if I'm understanding more of your love for me. To know and to believe. 
It's quite funny, just as an aside. One morning I was doing this holier moment, flying like it was like January, February. I was like, oh Lord. The back roots, oh Lord, show me your love. And suddenly <laughs> I hit some black ice and I was down. I was like, Lord, I was praying to you. How could you? Anyway, that's just an aside. But what I'm saying is bad things happen to good people. But God's love is real. His love for us. You know, what I'm actually saying is this. There is a good striving in life. There's a bad striving. I'm not talking about striving to earn. I'm talking, this, don't, don't miss this phrase. It's Piper. John Piper says this. I'm striving to cherish the free gift of God's love for me. I'm striving to cherish the free gift that God has given me in his love. You can strive for the wrong things. You can strive to get right with God. It's, it's just not any good. You won't get right with God. But Jesus said, strive to enter the kingdom through the narrow gate. In Hebrews, it says, strive to enter into my rest. That is a good effort, a good discipline, there's a good work that God wants us to put into, eff- into, into action. In 1 Timothy, it says, train yourself for godliness. And the Greek word there is gymnazo. It means get sweaty. Okay? It gets it put effort into not the wrong things. It's not about earning your right before God. You've been given that by grace, but we spend the rest of our life t- striving to cherish by the Spirit what's happened. <laughs> Do you understand that? And if we're just so crazy in life, the strength part of loving God, we just go, well, my heart and emotions, they're not, just, they're not feeling anything. Yes, but look at the whole thing. Heart, soul, mind. Your mind needs the strength. It needs the strength of your whole life working towards it. So, for example, uh, when we did the Jacob series a few months ago, about halfway through this series, okay, Jacob was an old guy, uh, well, a guy in the, in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, rather, and uh, the, sto- the basic story was that he was no different to anyone else, just as sinful, but God, in his grace, showed extraordinary, amazing favor to him in giving him righteousness before God. And the amazing thing about this story is, is that he's a bad dad, he's a bad husband, he's a grabber, he's just a nightmare, basically. And you really think, this guy's a wally. You know, and, and you think, why? And I read that story, and as we looked at it as a church, I thought, I'm actually getting angry that God just showing special favor to him. And what about Laban, his uncle? Okay, he's not great either, but he's no worse or what about Esau, his brother? Okay, he's a bit hot-headed, but he's no, they're all sinful, right? So why are you showing special grace to blimmin' Jacob, Lord? And I got myself, I was getting angry. I was thinking, this is actually unfair. This is unfair, God. And then it hit me. It's the gospel. <laughs> it's the gospel. Tom Shaw is like Jacob. And it exposed in me an unconscious works mentality that I actually thought, deep down, if you're a Christian, it's kind of, kind of, because you're a bit better. And the scandal of God's blessing of Jacob and his blessing of me was just one of those moments, you know, those moments in life, you're just like, oh, oh my life. And immediately pride was exposed. Everything just melts in those moments when you see the love of God for you. Have you seen it recently? Have you tasted it? Is your strength working towards that thing that's so delicious is tasting that grace, tasting a moment of it? That's what God wants for us. I'll just give you a little example. This week, I was in my shed. I have a shed where I like to go and pray. I was having time with God, so I'd um, said goodbye to the family. I love the family, but I thought, this is more. I've got to get before God. I've got to taste the grace. I've got to cherish the love that God has for me. I need a daily dose, Lord. And I'm in there, 
And then Joseph and the girls come out and they're playing. And I'm thinking, oh, I want to be out there. I love them. They go, we're having a go on the slide. And I'm there thinking, oh, focus, focus. What are we going to read today? I open up my Bible up. We're looking at Nahum, which is a slightly odd minor prophet, uh, but it's just where I've come to in my reading. And I read one verse at the top. It says, it says, oh God, you are a jealous God. I just thought, okay, let's take that scripture. Let's apply my strength into my mind. God, thank you that you're jealous. Thank you, it's a good jealousy. Thank you, your jealousy is for my devotion. You're like a husband who doesn't want his partner straying. Thank you, God, your jealousy sent your son to the cross. Your jealousy meant that you had this amazing plan to give your very life for me. And as I started to praise that light, the Holy Spirit, from that one verse, flooded my soul. And I just was broken on my knees, crying out to God. With all outside, you know, normal life, babies and everything. And, and it was a journey, the strength to get in there, to take a really odd chapter, in a, as it were, at first glance, and to say, God, this is your word. It's got to be, I've got, you know, this is all I've got. And to apply it. And my mind was filled with this, and then suddenly my soul, God, it's actually God's desire for all of us that we would learn the journey. Learn the journey. And it will be different for each of you about how you find that. How you find that path. For me, actually, a huge thing was deciding to get up early. I adore sleep. I am a hippie by nature. I, I just, you know, the, just, and I just noticed a trend with men and women who really grew in God. They got to bed early, which was the biggest sacrifice. That's the real sacrifice. They could get up early and get before God and do this process. I'm giving my strength. My first fruit strength is in this, God. I've got to fight for it because life is pressured. Life is busy. And Lord, if I'm going to grow every day in applying the strength that you've given me into my mind understanding your love for me, this, this is war. Do you understand that? It is war. A good fight, the good fight of faith. It's taking war. And so I'm not just going to be blown around. You know, we're not called to worship God, you know, two, one, i.e. two hours, one day of the week on a Sunday. It's 24-7. God, help me. Help me, Lord. Let my strength be in those things that are going to help my mind to be after you. Because actually what happens is, therefore, our discipline is, is that which is going towards a good thing. Towards our minds being flooded with the love of God. So we need to be those who are disciplined. You need to be disciplined by the Spirit. Self-control. To give the fruit of the Spirit. Think, how can my, how, Lord, how am I doing on this? Not condemning, but convicting. Lord, help me to shape my life. No one else can do it for me. I've got to shape my life to use my strength so that my strength and my mind and my heart and my soul are all about entering into your love for me so that then I become greater in my love for you. On occasions, Josie's very uh, lovingly said, Tom, you're so disciplined. You know, you get up early in the morning, you're so disciplined. And I've said to her, honey, I'm not disciplined. And I really mean I'm not disciplined. I am a hopeless, addicted fan. You know, hopeless, addicted fans, when they hear that Brad Pitt or whatever is going to be in London, what do they do? They take a day off work. They get out in the rain. They're there at the railings. For the moment, the glimpse. Are they impressive? Not really. They're a little bit sad in a way. They are addicted. They are hopelessly, gloriously addicted to a glimpse of that person. That's me. Do you understand that? When you're addicted, and is it in a good sense, and, and craving and yearning for a glimpse of this one, it's the pleasure. 
It's finding our pleasure in him, pleasure in his presence. It's obje- what I'm saying is the pleasure of longer sleep or whatever is less than the sheer objective pleasure of being in his presence. That's what I want to tantalize us with today. It's actually the pleasure. God doesn't want us to say, be stoic and say no to pleasure. No, we've got to find our pleasure in his presence. That's the greatest pleasure that there is. And so you do things that look disciplined and sacrificial, but it's not really because of that. Do you understand? It's like when you're in love. I mean, when I, when I, um, first Christmas, me and Joe were together, sorry, lots of, uh, slushy, uh, stories today it's fine um i dropped her off in brighton in my car where she lived joe's gonna kill me later and i got my car and drove up to lincolnshire miles away uh and i was just gonna meet her back in canterbury but a few days later after christmas joe said tom my mum's bought me a stereo for christmas i can't get it on the train can you come and i was like can i come yeah no worries and i go back on the motorway i'd only been left about two days or something and i was like driving through the rain you know hundreds of pounds on petrol whatever who cares back into uh sunny brighton and then josie and i had some time together i drove her back to canterbury but the point was the sacrifice was just compared with meeting with her it wasn't like oh i'm so sacrificial i will get back in my car and drive there is a sacrifice but it's because god's called us called us to know him and to love him Uh, again francis chan in his book he talks about his wife's grandmother he says uh, when she died, as an old lady, he said, I spoke recently at Grandma Clara's funeral. I can honestly tell the mourners gathered that I'd never known anyone more excited to see Jesus. Every morning, Clara would kneel by her bed, spend precious hours with her saviour and lover. Later in the day, just the sight of that corner of the bed would bring f- joy-filled tears and a deep anticipation of the next morning spent kneeling in his presence. Grandma Clara acted towards God the way we act towards people we're madly in love with. We're madly in love with. God does want us to love him with our strength, but that's not, it's to actually serve the love affair. It's a love affair. If you want to know what the Bible's about, it's about God who just wants our love. <laughs> and, and this is the greatest thing. We live in the days when the Spirit's been poured out so that our hearts can be filled and flooded with the very love that God has for Jesus is now in you. Put your hand on your heart. His love for his Son is in you and in me. It's the most amazing truth by the Spirit. And all we're called to do is to fan every day. Lord, fan it. Just show me, show me, show me. Let my mind not be filled with rubbish on TV, rubbish in magazines, rubbish on the internet. Just guard your mind. Let it be fixed on the Bible and on God. You only have one chance before you meet him. Many of you, it might be sooner than we think. Shape your life around this thing. It's his greatest command. But then finally, just briefly, he says, and then love your neighbor. Just been a few minutes on this. It's obvious. If you get this in your soul, <laughs> this is just like obvious, isn't it? Isn't it? It's just like if you get, God loves me with an unconditional love. Now I'm secure. He's with me. He's praying for me. He's interceding for me. He's here. He's closer than even another human. He's in my soul. It's kind of exciting. It's kind of exciting. (laughs) Help me, Lord. It's just wonderful. It's just intoxicating. And it means even when rubbish happens in your life, although it's painful and real, it means that there's this this, nuclear reactor of love in your soul that's just... God loves you. He loves you. Nothing can separate you from that. Nothing. Feel the power of that. It is just extraordinary. 
So many people in the world think Christianity is about the Ten Commandments. If you're not a Christian here today, this is what I'm saying is honestly true. It isn't about you trying hard. It is about do you want to get right with your God in heaven and by grace have his love for his son placed in your soul? And in a few minutes you can respond simply before him. And say, I want that. (laughs) I want that. I know that separation from you, O God, is just a road to hell and destruction and sadness and awful things and judgment. But I can in a moment be reconciled with my father. And so our church, this is what I want this beautiful church to be like. A place bubbling over with the love of God. Just bubbling with it. You know, like a big frothy lemonade or bubbling over with it. Bubbling over with the love of God. Supernatural agape everywhere. Oh, this is church? What? This is church? People come, this is, I thought church was, no, no, no. Sits down, no, this is the love of God. Bubbling over where you love each other from your heart, not because we tell you to. Yeah, where new people are brought right in. Where our welcome team is not 30 people, it's 350 people. Genuinely, where we stop conversations with our good friends at times and go, I love you, but that person over there is on his own. I'm going to just see in a bit. <gasps> I'm, and just the supernatural heart of God for loneliness. I hate loneliness. I just, it's one of the deepest, I hate it. I want to wage war on it. I never want to hear people say I'm lonely in this church. I know the reality is that will sometimes happen, but will you join with us as elders in saying, let's wage war on it seven days a week, always saying, because the other aspect of agape love not just that it's supernatural, it's also sacrificial. You see, the other main Greek word that's used is filiae. And that's a friendship love. It means there's a chemistry, there's an affection, there's a similarity. We're going to high five, mutually get on. That's not the love he's saying. When he loves, says love one another, agape love is love where there is nothing in common. It's a love where there is no chemistry. It is a love where there is no affiliation, nothing whatsoever in a human sense that brings you together. This is the heart of it. But it is a love that is determined to do you good. I'll say that again. It is a love that is determined to do you good. This is the love, the agape love we find only in the Bible. That in the rest of the Greek world, I didn't even know existed. It is the love of Christ that took him to the cross. There was no connection in that sense. It wasn't that we were really good friends, humanity and God. Quite the opposite profoundly sacrificial love supernatural but also sacrificial and my heart is that in these days in these days guys as we are drenched with the spirit that actually we would be a community that loves each other in an extraordinary sacrificial way in an extraordinary sacrificial way it costs us one christian writer said that christian agape love listen to this is the giving impulse i love that it's the giving impulse. How, how countercultural is that? Even in the Christian world, you pick it up, a consumerism. I want to get. I'm here because I just want to get. I've had a little look and that's the one I'm going to get most from. Agape love is the exact opposite. I have been blown away by the love of God towards me. And so all of my life is about giving. Because I cannot ever outgive God. In our small groups. I want our small groups to be a place. Our cell groups. They are bubbling over with a profound outpouring of agape love. Oh, work's tough. Let's do a food rotor for you. You're having a baby. Let's do a food rotor for you. You're moving house. Let's organize and chip together and maybe pay for the removal guys. We'll take the day off work. We'll be there for you. We want to make you feel absolutely involved. 
where we're loving and serving each other. Why? Because when we do that, God is glorified. Look with me here in verse 12 of 1 1 John 4. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. That phrase there, that exact Greek phrase, is found at the beginning of the Gospel of John. It says this, John 1 verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, that's Jesus, has made him known. What's he saying there? He's saying this, is that before Jesus came, no one knew what God really fully looked like. When Jesus came to earth, he said, I am God. If you see me, you've seen the Father. Then Jesus goes back to heaven. So how does the world now know what Jesus looks like? 1 John four, nineteen. Sorry, 12. No one has ever seen God. The same Greek construction. If we love one another, God abides in us. Do you understand the weight of that? <laughs> Our loving each other, agape loving, sacrificial loving, is not just something for a few keenies. It is an absolute global mission necessity. It's a global mission necessity. Say that out loud. It's a global mission necessity. That is why when the world sees the church divided and disunified, I I don't know if there's much more that will break the heart of God. Because he has put his eggs in the basket of showing the world what Christ is like through us loving each other. Agape loving each other. If the love of God abides in us, then God sees us. That's breathtaking. So when we think about our small groups, we think about that primary beautiful little tribe, a tribe within a big tribe. Just even think, how, Lord, can I pour out my life into each other? As we think about ourselves on Sundays, how, Lord, can I pour Organic groups that don't even fit a classification, discipleship groups, prayer groups, the whole thing. And you might think, Tom, what about love for the city? Galatians 6.10 says... Do good to all, but especially to the household of believers. Why? Because there's no point in us demonstrating love to the city if we're not demonstrating love first of all. We have to get our own household in order. And as we do that, as we go deeper and deeper and deeper, and I think as a church we're quite good at the initial high five, welcome to the church. We need to go deeper. I believe that. I believe it's a specific challenge. Some of you have come in in the last 12 months or so, and I think we need to, for those who have been here longer, we need to make sure we're not just in cliques, we're not in groups of people we know. Keep on saying, Lord, am I getting to know new people who are different to me? Yeah? Different to me. From different countries, from different age backgrounds, from different classes. It's got to be happening. It's the heart of God. It's so beautiful. Oh, I love it. Love your neighbour as yourself. And as we do this, friends, I honestly say, as we do this, this city will smell it. This city will sense it. Bill Hybels, a leader of a great church in America, he, he says this, and I'll finish with this. I've just, I just finished presenting my weekend message at the church. A young married couple approached me, placed a blanketed bundle in my arms, and asked me to pray for their baby. As I asked what the baby's name was, the mother pulled back the blanket that had covered the infant's face. I felt my knees begin to buckle. I thought I was going to faint. Had the father not steadied me, I may well have keeled over. In my arms was the most awfully deformed little baby I'd ever seen. The whole centre of her tiny face was caved in. How she kept breathing, I will never know. All I could say was, oh my, oh my. Her name is Emily, said the mother. 
We've been told she has six weeks to live, added the father. We would like you to pray that before she dies, she will know and feel our love. Barely able to mouth the words, I whispered, let's pray. And together we prayed for Emily. Oh, did we pray. And as I handed her back to her parents, I said, is there anything we can do for you? Any way that we as a church can serve you during this time? And the father responded with words that still amazed me. He said, Bill, we're okay. Really, we are. We've been in a loving small group for years. Our group members knew that this pregnancy had complications. They were at our house the night we learned the news. They were at the hospital when Emily was delivered. They helped us to absorb the reality of the whole thing. They even cleaned our house. They fixed our meals when we brought her home. They pray for us constantly and call us several times a day. They're even helping us to plan Emily's funeral. Just then, three other couples stepped forward and surrounded Emily and her parents. We always attend church together. I love that. Small groups meeting together. Do that. As a group, said one of the group members. It was a picture I will carry to my grave. A tight-knit huddle of loving brothers and sisters doing their best to soften one of the cruelest blows life can throw. And after a group prayer, they all walked up the side aisle towards our baby. He says this, there's nothing like the local church. There's nothing like it when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving. It heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addictions. Hallelujah. It frees the oppressed. It offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for drenched, spirit-drenched healing and wholeness. To this day, the potential of the local local church is almost more than I can grasp. No other thing on earth is like the local church. Nothing even comes close. Hallelujah. That is what we're going for, guys. A church that's drenched in the spirit. So that our love of God rising out of an ever-growing understanding of his love for us. That floods our emotions and then tumbles out horizontally into breathtaking, sacrificial love for one another it's the greatest joy it needs our strength it won't just happen it needs our strength friends it needs us saying i'm going to give my life to this i'm giving my life i'm not asking you to say be committed on thursday tuesday nights that's a part i'm saying give your life to this church give your life to the community and as that happens the city will smell this amazing community it's the most attractive thing this city is desperate for community it's so lonely this world is so lonely And God has placed his beautiful presence upon us. Yes, to love him. Yes, to enjoy him. But then as we pour ourselves sacrificially into each other, this city's not going to know what hit it. Amen? Amen. Let's stand, shall we? We're going to respond before our living God. We still have five minutes or so if you've got kids, so don't, don't worry. Just let the Spirit of God, even now, come on you. I just believe as we come nearing to an end of this, of this series, the hunger in many of you, Holy Spirit, let's just, right now, let's just be still before our God. Let's be still before our God. Right now, just let the love the Father has for Christ, even now, I pray, Lord, that you will help us to know and to believe the love that God has for us. I even pray now for us, 
with very limited minds, Lord. God, this is, this, is, this is not a side issue. This is your greatest, dearest command, that we would love you with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength, not to our glory, but to the glory of the Spirit who enables the impossible. God, I pray it today. Even now, why don't you just, you might just want to open your hand, you might just want to, I don't know, you don't have to, just do what you want to do. Just ask God, be active in this moment. Right now, say, Lord, let my strength, even now, be directed not to thinking about anything else. Take hold of your thoughts. Let them become captive, even now, right now. This is a moment, a, a holy moment, I believe. God is here. God is here. Oh. Right now. Holy, Holy Spirit. I want to pray for the, even now, for those who don't know you yet, I want to pray right now that you will open their eyes to you. I pray for any here who would say, I don't think I'm a Christian yet, but I want to become a Christian. Even now, in the stillness of this moment, I just want to encourage you, like a child, in faith, put your trust in the truth that you've heard. I'd love you to come and tell one of us leaders at the end if you're making that decision today. But you don't need me or anyone else. It's between you and your creator. I want to pray for every Christian here right now. Many of you, when I said that our love for God is contingent on understanding his love for you, that was the thing for many of you that you thought, I, I, think, I think God is lovingly getting me today. I want to ask right now, if that's you, just reach out to him in your heart. Reach out to him in your heart. It is not the will of God for you to live your life as a Christian. Thinking secretly, that's for others, it's for enthusiasts and, and, and extroverts. I want to pray right now, God, you want us to know and to believe the love of God. I want to pray even now for the curtains to go back. Right now, the curtains, like, like, like on a stage. I pray for a spirit of revelation. Right now, Lord, all across this room, every heart and soul, unanimously, right now, seeing afresh, the almost scary love of God. What kind of God would do this for me? Right now, I pray, do it. I ask in Holy Spirit, come now. Come now, Lord. Come now. Come now. Oh, thank you, Lord. Some of you, I just feel that the parable of the sower, your life has just had so many kind of, at one level, good things, but they've just clogged your life. Busyness and just things. And even now, God is just, he wants to just, the gardener, he's just taking back those thorns. He's taking back those things, those weeds. And even now, I just even see, like, for many of you, it's almost like a kind of, and it sounds silly, but like a tractor beam of light, just of his love towards you. When you experience and know his love for you, it humbles you. It makes you a generous giver. It makes you 
a lover of people you would never love. It, everything flows out of it. I want to pray even again, Lord, now for multitudes. I want to pray for, as people drive home in a minute and eat lunch, Lord, as they go to August socials, as mums who are tired and got small kids, I pray in their most unlikely of moments for the beautiful, sweet embrace of a revelation of heaven, of your unbelievable love. Oh, God. Where there's many pressures and questions and challenges, let the love of God, even now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just stay before him for a moment. Rob's going to very gently lead us in just a song of response. Just gently. And if you want to break bread or drink uh, wine, this is for Christians. It's a beautiful gift. It says to remember our Jesus. You are so welcome to come up. We'll serve you those things. We'd love you just to even use that as another way of connecting with the intimacy of, of God. As you break bread, you remind yourself his love at the cross broken for you, his body and his wine of his blood shed for you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.